Well, you probably, I wasn't coming. Well, I probably wasn't coming through then the reflections, was I? Oh, I'm so sorry. They change things here and I'm not on top of it. It's been a while. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> So I, I, I've told some of you that uh, uh, my idea is to reflect on uh, the sanya khanda, the perception khanda, during my time here in the evening talks and probably pretty much in the morning reflections as well. And um, just to start out with a little framing that for you. You know, as you may know, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, already know that uh, the sanya, the perception khanda, is one of the five aggregates, and that these five, in a way, activities or functions or experience of the body uh, and mind. And these are body, feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness. And one way of seeing this, really, is as a more elaborate model of the body and mind. We're talking about this body and mind. That is our experience, that is uh, uh, what we activate or what we function through. And this is just a more elaborate model of that. But we're really just talking about nama and rupa, the body and mind. And... um, these are, uh, as it's uh, outlined in the teachings, these are what the sense of self, in a way, crystallizes around. Um, the, the sense of self, in, in many descriptions, is, uh, in one way or another, attachment to one or all of these five aggregates. And um, so when we talk about self and non-self, we're talking about the... Um, aggregates with and without clinging, with and without attachment. And interestingly, that's also the definition of an uh, unawake and an awake human being. You know, the unawake human being is uh, functioning through the aggregates but with attachment. Uh, The unawake human being is functioning through the aggregates but without attachment. So, it, that puts an interesting, uh, it kind of gets my attention, you know, when we're talking about something that distinguishes us uh, as unawake human beings from those who are awake. You know, you want to turn to and say, well, what's this all about? What's this teaching all about? And can I get some help from it? <clears throat> and it's interesting that um, in the first noble truth, the very first aspect of the teaching that the Buddha gave, uh, his first teaching after his awakening, he, he, in a way, he's, he's talking about dukkha, but in a way he summarizes all of what dukkha is uh, by uh, referring to the attachment to these five aggregates. You know, he goes through this litany of, uh, uh, you know, sickness, aging, and death, wanting things we don't have, not having things that we do want. And then uh, there's sort of like this tag that's put on at the end of all of this. And, and he says, in brief, the five focuses of the grasping mind are suffering. So it's, it, it's like all of it is right there. Any time that we're suffering or caught in some uh, di- one form of difficulty or another, I can guarantee you, you're, you're attached in one way or another to one of these five aggregates. So we see here in understanding this teaching and what's going on with it, um, just the, the great potential for freedom um, in our practice, in our lives, but and as well as happiness, and, and recognizing that this is all tied up with this activity of attachment in one way or another to the aggregates. So, as I said, this month I want to zero in on the third aggregate, sanya, the sanya khanda, which is uh, often usually translated as perception. And this is the activity of mind through which we get a sense of what's... Uh, we come into contact with, both internally and externally. It's it's going on all the day, all the time. The Buddha said that perception is constantly arising with contact and feeling. They all arise together. So as soon as there's some contact at one of the sense doors, uh, there is a perception of that. Uh, And this uh, uh, involves many different activities or uh, uh, appears in very different ways. And I, I hope that during the course of our time together I'll be able to just shine a spotlight on the, the different aspects of that. 
But anyway, so in, in, in short, it's the activity of mind through which we're receiving, sorting, and interpreting the data that uh, we come into contact with. And when you consider how that we live in a world that is constantly be bombarding us with data, <laughs> information, both at the sense doors and uh, in, which includes the mind, um, then you realize the significant role that this uh, conda plays, this uh, perception conda plays. But it, so it's, it's constantly receiving information at the sense doors and sorting and interpreting what's going on. So as, as we'll see, though, it's also a player in how, we begin, how we're relating to that information. Uh, over time, what happens is that <clears throat> the perceptions become very solid and seemingly real. Our ideas about what we're experiencing get very uh, entrenched in the mind and um, begin to dictate, how, in, indeed, how it is that we're relating. And that's if we don't see them. You know, if we see it, we have options, and that's why it, it becomes something that's a, 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 get, we get our antenna out. <laughs> we should have a high degree of interest around this activity. So, but the thing is, and uh, this is where it starts to get very interesting too, is, is that much of the activity of this aggregate, much of the activity of the sanyakanda is unconscious. We don't, we don't even see it happening. We don't even see that the mind is forming views and ideas about what's happening or relating. We just kind of go with it. It's very subtle stuff, and we're caught in it much of the time. And and the reason why it's unconscious is because it's so deeply entrenched or embedded in um, our conditioning, in our karmic patterns and habits of mind. And, uh, you know, for myself, when I started to pick up on this uh, activity of mind, um, I began to see some of the uh, very subtle and uh, totally unconscious ways that I was creating suffering for myself. Just not being able to uh, see or recognize what the mind was doing and being carried away with everything. So it's often unconscious and it's often incorrect and, or distorted in one way or another. You know, the, the classic example of this is the, you know, that one might uh, be walking along a path and see a rope across the path and, and mistake it for a snake. You know, we think it's a snake. Um, because that, that in, in, in the moment, that's what the mind sees and what it perceives. And you can even get all the adrenaline rushes going and all the reaction going because of that perception. It's not what's actually happening but it's what we think is what's happening, and that's uh, where we live. I remember one time, uh, years ago, when I was at the, the Buddhist monastery in California, by Giri, you know, I saw, uh, I saw something moving in the forest outside the, the women's cottage, and, and it was something big and furry, and I thought, oh, cute, you know, <laughs> and I started to move towards it. Uh, and it turned, I thought it was a tomcat. I thought it was a big overgrown tomcat, you know. Uh, and it turned out to be a mountain lion, you know. <laughs> and this, is, this, is, this is an incorrect perception. <laughs> One doesn't want to be moving towards that kind of object. But fortunately, uh, it turned out it wasn't very interested in me. It just looked and walked away. But uh, if it had been a cat, it would have been a very big cat and probably dangerous even in that that. So similarly, um, one might perceive uh, the activities or words of another person to be threatening or hostile, or might perceive them in one way incorrectly. Let's say, for example, threatening or, or hostile. And then one can feel, one begins to react to that. You know, you, you, you've probably seen this as you practice. You begin to, to uh, give rise to a lot of aversion in the body, a tightening and a constricting because we think we are perceiving what's coming at us as something that's uh, dangerous or, or threatening in one way or another. And, but it's interesting to begin to recognize as we work with this that that feeling that we, of, of discomfort, of disease and the reactive pattern that arises as a result of that that this is all proceeding from here, from my perception of that not necessarily from what's actually coming at us, right? It's very fascinating stuff because, uh, it, 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 you know, when you start to contemplate that, 
you begin to realize how much of our suffering is being born out of our own creations, our own, uh, the own our way that we're seeing what's happening, the way that we're relating to what's happening, not from what's actually happening. This gets very um, important, uh, especially as practitioners who are trying to overcome difficulty, <laughs> overcome um, the constructed um, examples of suffering and experiences of suffering. You know, sometimes we might just take a gesture or, or a nod or, or a comment and interpret it according to what our experience in the past has been towards that kind of activity, right? You know, so if, that, if I'm coming from an environment where that activity means danger and, and you're coming at me with that kind of activity, um, that may not be at all what you're doing. <laughs> but I'm going to feel it that way. I'm going to perceive it that way. And in the end, um, our, our perceptions rule the day. They become our experience. And, uh, you know, if you're getting it, feel, feel the sense of this, that, that is, it's not real. It, it's not necessarily what's actually happening. A- and yet, um, you know, we're off to the races with whatever it might be. So we can get into a lot of trouble with this kind of thing, uh, misapprehending a lot of suffering. You know, and I'm sure, it, you know, if we went around the room, you all have uh, examples of that. You know, not uh, m- myself, not long ago, I, I, I had to do a lot of damage control with one of my brother-in-laws, you know. Um, I, we just rubbed each other the wrong way. <laughs> and, and it was unfortunate because our, the, our sisters and I are all very close, we all want to go get along. We want to love the people that each of us loves. <laughs> and yet, um, here was this discord, this disharmony. Uh, and so uh, we did what I don't always do in these situations. Sometimes it's uh, more difficult, but we talked about it. And we began to reveal to each other how we were perceiving each other. <laughs> and boy, were we off. It, it, it wasn't even close to the way the person actually is. You know, the ideas that he had of me, that's not what I was doing. The ideas I had of him, that's not what he was doing. And, and uh, you know, come to find out, he was a really nice guy, you know. I liked him. <laughs> Who knew? I didn't know that because I was completely caught up in my ideas about who I thought he was. It, 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 oh, it's, it's sad but also enormously powerful uh, in those uh, moments as practitioners, especially where we, we step up to the plate and we recognize that there's a perception here that we're attached to and we want to be able to um, unpack it, to uncover it and see what's going on around it all. Or, you know, another example I thought of, I mean, if you've ever had, a, you, you, you all do a lot of retreats, you've been on retreats or for many years, many of you, um, and if you've ever had a Vipassana romance, you know about attachment to perception. <laughs> you know, for myself, it only took once. It was such a powerful teaching because it, it was a gesture, it was a nod, it was something out of the corner of my eye that made this guy very attractive to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and then one time we were getting our food at the food line across from each other and our spoons clinked, you know, <laughs> as we were dipping up the buttered ginger carrots, you know, and it was like a lightning bolt, you know, I'm so in love, oh, this guy is fabulous, and, and just, you know, I mean, I, I won't share with you what went on in my mind as a result of that, but you, you know, probably as well as I do, the mind just builds a person out of very little information, very little information, and very incorrect information often. And, you know, and as you find out when you, the retreat comes to an end and you, you meet these people that you either loved or hated during the course of the retreat, it, 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 we're just totally off base. It's not even close, you know? And, you know, I, know I did that, as I said, I did that one time on uh, my first three-month retreat, and it was so shocking that I really got it. And it, it even was filled after the retreat with some compassionate urge to contact all the men I had loved, you know, and apologize to them, you know, because I realized I had no idea if I even knew who they were, you know. 
because we, we create each other. We, we, we have ideas about who each other are and we live in those ideas. And, and it's sad because we fail to see each other. You know, we fail to connect with who we actually are. So you can see why we cultivate the capacity to recognize sanya and, and to see when we're attaching to it. We, we want to be able to see how um, we may be taking these kinds of miscalculations and, and making them real, uh, creating a reality around things that could be very, very off. And uh, as I said, are proceeding from our patterns, our karmic patterns, our conditioning. You know, a lot of the, the perceptions that we cling to and are driving our actions are born out of our uh, childhood conditioning, or who knows, maybe other lifetimes. So there's a lot to it, obviously. And, and, uh, but it, it occurs to me that as, as Buddhist practitioners, as people who have set our sights on awakening, on insight and uh, liberating this mind, then the, the, the stakes in, in this kind of practice are even higher. Because, um, you know, we, we follow highly conditioned perceptions and this kind of thing can cause us to turn away from instances or situations or moments in our lives that, prom- that hold the promise of great insight into impermanence and suffering and non-self. But the habit of the mind may be to turn away or to avoid um, the experience of these. And understandably, I mean, who wants impermanent suffering and non-self to be the way it is, you know? But um, we're, uh, we need to see that the mind is constantly turning uh, away from uh, these direct experiences. And, and the, the Buddha talked about this uh, in a number of suttas. One in particular in the Anguttara Nikaya, he, he pointed to what he called the, uh, the vipalasas, the perversions or distortions of perception. And he said, through ignorance we're, and not seeing things clearly, what we tend to do over and over again, uh, and this is why we're not awake, is deem what is suffering as happiness, deem what is uh, subject to decay as permanent and secure and stable, uh, and deem what is not mine as mine. And we're caught in these kinds of delusions, and they are all distortions of the perception khanda. They're they're, uh, not seeing things clearly. And so they it cause us to misinterpret information uh, coming at us through the sense doors um, in, in such a way that we fail to garner the insights into uh, these three characteristics, which are critical. You know, many, many have said that light, the practice actually begins when we garner these insights. You know, it's, it's certainly a, a process of realizing them for many, many years. But once we do realize them, that it completely transforms, radicalizes the way that we're relating to experience. And so it, it's critical. So um, we're, if we don't, uh, if we're caught in these kinds of distortions, we're actually um, obstructing this process of liberating the mind. But if we learn about perception and understand what the Buddha is pointing to here, uh, take it up as a practice, then we can literally get a, a huge leg up on these kinds of insights. So that's that's part of it, why it's so important. Um, we we want to be able to uh, liberate this mind. And we need to understand uh, that it's often unconscious, often incorrect, so if we spot, shine the spotlight on here, we can make it more conscious and we can uh, correct the incorrect views. Now, interestingly, you know, perception is also the, the kicking-off point for uh, much, if not all, of the papancha in the mind, the constant uh, going on and on about things, uh, the, the, the endless chatter. You may have seen some of this <laughs> as you practice here. You know, and someone was asking me uh, today or yesterday about the relationship between um, the formations, the sankharas, and perception, the, the sanyakanda. 
And uh, these two are buddies, man. They're joined at the hip. <laughs> they love each other. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're constantly, the, the mind is constantly looking for a perception to have something that it can go on about. Something that it can build a world around. Something that it can create. And then we move into that world. And if you can feel it, you know, it, the, the more complicated that gets, the more we go down that road, the further and further away we're getting from anything that resembles here and now and, this, and, a, and a presence of mind. But this, this, is, this is the nature of, uh, of papancha. So you, you might say that if, the, uh, if life is a stage, then I saw it one, one way like this. It was kind of like a vision that came up in my practice. I saw the Sankara sort of waiting over here in the wings, you know, <laughs> and, and, and the Sanya, the perception khanda, is right there, center stage, and, and, uh, and taking in information, taking in that data, right? And, and Sanya and Sankara can't wait, you know, because then it can pick up something and go on about it, have something to, to, to say something about, do something with, play with. It loves solving problems. The mind loves to solve problems. And if we're wise, if we understand that capacity, it's kind of like an innate, instinctive capacity of the mind. If we understand that, uh, we would be very wise to turn that towards the, uh, uh, um, just the process of, of uh, un- uncovering um, delusion. You know, just l- turn the, the, that mind's tendency or capacity towards the, the riddle of delusion. But, you know, it, it's, and we're doing that as practitioners, you know, but uh, it's not always doing that. It's usually and often caught in this um, problem-creating and problem-solving mode. Uh, and you may have seen this, and it, this is what results in this endless chattering in, in the mind. And, and as you know, just being caught up in that chattering uh, of the mind is very, very painful. It's not a pleasant state. You know, people report in, in interviews how they, do, they just can't get outside of it. It's just going on and on and on, and one is looking for a, a peaceful moment outside of the chattering, but it does uh, at times become quite relentless. So all of this is proceeding from subtle and, and not so subtle attachment to the aggregates. And the perception kanda, the perception aggregate, is kind of like the kicking off point for it. It's, it's a key player. Give me something to know, and then the others come in and, and do something with it. So, I mean, just contemplating in this way, you know, one can see that de- depending on our capacities for seeing this activity, of, of perception, and, uh, and also our tendency to um, get caught up in it and attached, uh, we're either going to remain bound uh, in uh, old patterns and old conditioning and old ways of seeing, of being and seeing, uh, or we're going to step up, up this process of liberating the mind. It's up to us. But this is why I think this uh, particular aggregate is, uh, is so helpful to pick up as a practice and look and see if you can um, uh, notice this activity of mind and what being caught in it and attached to it is like, what being free of uh, that attachment is like. And, and the mind's not stupid. I mean, it'll see, it'll get, uh, it, it kind of weighs things. It goes, okay, attached in the aggregate, not attached, attached, not attached. I think I like this non-attached better, you know. And it, it just starts to incline that way in, in very subtle ways. So I found it very helpful just to become familiar with the, these activities of mind, the, the, the things that it includes. And as I said, to shine a spotlight on this. And, and in a way, what we're doing as practitioners is using perception to understand perception, to see how perception operates. You know, the, this mind that we have born, been born into as human beings is a marvelous gift. It represents very good karma. We're, in a way, we're hardwired for freedom if we just know how to use the apparatus. And uh, 
using this perception conduit in the interest of liberation versus in the interest of further attachment is critical to the process of waking up. So Sanya includes um, a number of aspects of mental activity or mental experience. And uh, tonight I'm just going to talk about the first one, which is uh, recognizing things. But there's also naming. There's also this uh, perception involves assigning qualities to things. You know, the, the, the perception of somebody is old and somebody else is young, somebody is fat, somebody is skinny, somebody is, uh, you know, hot or cold, or all these kinds of things are, are perceptions. And, and we take, take them to be real. <laughs> and um, in subsequent weeks I'll try to unpack some of that because uh, it's hugely liberating to break out of attachment to these kinds of perceptions. One of the big ones, and the deadliest, I think, is the tendency of the mind to associate, to draw associations with what is happening now, with something that we have known or felt or thought in the past. Uh, and it's doing this a lot. And, very, and it can be very painful at times. You can, you can hardly stop the mind from relating. It just, it, it takes this moment and it relates and it moves into the relating. <laughs> it doesn't stay with here. You know, if you have that feeling of being a little, um, you know, just sort of living a little, a short distance from yourself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is how that is proceeding. The, we're attached to uh, uh, an association that the mind has made to what's actually happening. And that's where we live, you know, doing that a lot. Um, it includes remembering you know, that, that, those moments, how many hours have you spent on the meditation cushion uh, rehashing the past, going over the past and redoing it and trying to make it not be what it was <laughs> or just remembering it, some of its joyful stuff and riding the waves of the pleasure or the pain of it, you know. And uh, it, it, it's, a, it's actually a, a, a perception, it's an activity of the mind in the moment where... Um, I don't know how it happens, it's the weirdest thing. You know, you're sitting here minding your own business and up pops Aunt Tilly and there she is, you know, and, and you're off in a story about something that um, happened. And it, and it gives you a very real sense of something back there. You know, my past, my history. And, and we get, in a way, it very feels very real. It feels like we're being born into that, like we're reliving that. And, and, uh, but the, the, the nature of attachment in that moment is such that we're not seeing, that we're, actually, we're, we're right here, <laughs> we never left, you know. We're just remembering. The mind is remembering. And, and we're making it uh, more real than that. Or imagining, you know, the other side of it. You know, you have, a, you have an appointment book and, I mean, I know I have something I'm doing next Friday, you know. So there, there's a tomorrow. <laughs> the future is real because it's in my appointment book, you know. I know it's going to happen. That, that sense of, of directing the mind towards a time in the so-called future. But we, we want to see how, uh, and unpack this, and see how um, there has never been anything other than now. <laughs> how the mind is constantly... Uh, uh, remembering and imagining and creating a sense of some other time, some other place, some other way. And it's just not true. There's only here, there's only now. So we'll look at that. And then finally, uh, forming ideas and views and biases. These are, these are kinds of the things that wars are made out of, at least fights and battles and disagreements. We get entrenched in our views and don't and fail to see that we're just having a view. It's just a view. So if we aren't aware of these in a, in a mindful way, then we're, we're drawn into them and we attach and they become our world, even for a few moments. I mean, it may only go on for a few moments until it, the mind gets tired of it and wants a new world, you know? <laughs> so it drops that one and creates a, a whole new one to be born into. So uh, the implications of becoming aware of all of this may not be immediately uh, apparent, but I, I hope I can shed some light on why it's so important. 
it's very important to see this activity of mind and, and to see, um, see it as something the mind does. And this is critical, to, to see it as an acti- a phenomenon, an activity of mind. It's the way this mind operates. It's what it is doing. It's not who we are. The content of it is no more real than that. It's, it's an activity of the mind in this moment. And one wants to be able to, over the months and years of practice, to, to create the capacity to stand back, just to, to you know, literally, viscerally stand back from that activity and know it. It's very alluring. It tends to really pull us in and uh, very, uh, we can get entrenched in it very quickly. But this capacity for non-attachment to this, this aggregate is critical. And, and this is done so that we can stop being preoccupied and stop being so deluded by it all. And, and it gives us options in relation to that activity. As long as we don't see it, you don't have any options. <laughs> The only option you have is to be caught in it and to become it, to make it our world, to become the self who is perceiving. So the idea here is just to learn to relate to this activity of mind with an ever-increasing uh, objectivity and discernment. You know, and, and, uh, and I bet you've experienced this, just e- even, even if only a little bit, that sense of, oh, look at what my mind is doing. Can you believe that? You know, can you feel that? It's, it's not in it. It's very, very powerful. It's not in it. It's looking at it. And that's the, the critical uh, foundation for non-attachment, just to be standing free, if you will. It's a radically different posture than being caught up in it. And as I said, it, it gives us options. So I just want to look a little bit tonight at this first one, this uh, experience of, of recognizing. And I'll, I'll carry on with the others in uh, subsequent uh, talks. So perhaps this is the most common aspect of sanya. Um, and, and, and it becomes easy uh, to be sensitized to this. At least I find it so. Uh, the mind is doing this a lot. Uh, and we notice that the mind recognizes things. And, uh, but I would, I would say this uh, in a different way, in a slightly significant way. We notice that the mind is constantly uh, scrutinizing our world, trying to get a fix on what is happening. It's trying to know, trying to get a fix on what is happening. And, and so that with the underlying intention to feel comfortable and secure. You know, this mind is constantly assessing situations, people, uh, conditions in our lives uh, with the intention of getting things to a place that we know, that we recognize, that we're familiar with, that it's secure and comfortable. And until that happens, um, you can feel a little wobbly with things. Yeah? You've probably seen this. I was watching just a few weeks ago when I was teaching a course down at the study center and um, we had a practice period where we were sitting and walking and uh, I was ringing the bell to signal the end of the walking period. And uh, I was in a really quiet frame of mind so I was really kind of seeing the momentary arisings in the mind even while we were doing this. So I was moving towards the bell and... uh, Right as I was coming out the farmhouse door and moving down the path to the bell, I saw somebody near the bell that I didn't recognize. Yeah? And uh, what my mind did, it was interesting. It was like, who's that? Who's that? And, and you know, I, I'm the teacher for the course. I, I need to know if there's extraneous people around. <laughs> but, but I also need to know if maybe there's somebody that arrived late that I missed that I didn't greet. You know, and I, I'm wanting to uh, make this unknown moment somehow known and, and feel more comfortable with it. And, and so it was interesting. My mind was going like, is it Terry? Is it Anne? And I could feel, uh, without any kind of uh, volition, conscious volition on my part, 
uh, the whole system just start to move, to rev up, and to uh, rush towards the bell. Because I thought if I could just um, move faster, I could overtake her and kind of look back and see who it was. And then I would be, uh, I would know, I would be more comfortable. So it's, it's fascinating, it's a, it's a simple example, uh, but just fascinating to me to interpret it in line with this teaching, just to unpack it and to see what's going on in that kind of thing. How the, uh, the unawakened mind does not like uncertainty. It does not like not knowing <laughs> what's going on. It does not like that feeling of uh, insecurity. And, and, and so it becomes restless and even agitated. You know, I could feel this, and just this sense of agitation and hurrying when things aren't known and things aren't secure. And, and I could see and feel that um, in those moments when I don't know something, it's very, very uncomfortable. Very, very uh, unpleasant situation. But, but there's more. And just unpacking this, just really beginning to see how this unawakened mind is so highly conditioned to scramble to get rid of discomfort, to scramble to get rid of insecurity, to scramble to get rid of something that we don't have control over in this moment. You know, it's constantly doing this. And it was like, uh, you know, I felt like I was along for the ride. It was so compelling. It was like the whole system was on automatic pilot, driven to uh, come to some place of comfort and ease around something that, uh, you know, it's, it's a simple example, but it's the kind of thing that can shed so much light on what it is that we're talking about. So, and, and finally, I, I could see how the, the moment of recognizing who it was, at some point, I went, ah, oh, it's Terry, you know? And, and the whole tightening, the whole constricted experience in that moment it was completely relieved. You, you can watch the, the uh, stress move out of the system entirely. Uh, now it's like Sonia got a fix. <laughs> I got my fix. I recognized. <laughs> I knew what it was. And now I had the illusion of security, comfort, and control. Can you feel it? It's, it's fascinating stuff to see it. And, and so we, we, uh, when we can see it, we relax. Or maybe you run, you know, if it's a dangerous situation, depending on what's going on. So it's interesting to, to observe these kinds of functions of the mind and how uh, we're so easily carried away with them caught on the, the wave of it all, if you will. You know, and on one level, there's nothing wrong with this. Um, uh, we aren't necessarily trying to intercede or trying to do things in a different way. Uh, it, it's just that we, we want to see that these primordial urges, these primordial impulses are driving our actions and, and moving us um, to uh, some imagined uh, security and, and comfort in the moment. You know, if, if the mind uh, is perceiving danger uh, where there isn't any, you know, we're creating a lot of difficulties for our lives. And obviously, though, this kind of thing has a great function. Uh, we're not trying to get rid of it because it serves, uh, it has a, this whole self-preservation quality to it. I mean, if you're walking down a dark alley in a neighborhood that's seedy, you, you want this functioning, <laughs> you know. You want that, that uh, capacity to be alert, to be taking in what's going on and seeing uh, whether there's any threat or danger and, and so that we can know how to act, what to do. B- but uh, we want to, con- to be able to discern when it's useful, when this activity is needed, when it's uh, even uh, useful or, and when it's not. You know, we don't have that freedom if we're completely caught and attached and not seeing uh, the perception conda at play here. So as practitioners, particularly apropos to insight, um, this activity is not or may not be useful when the impulse to find security blinds us 
to the direct experience of insecurity. It's overriding this almost all of the time. You know, so uh, it, it's not serving us. It's tricky. One, one wants to be able to, in a way, and this may be the, the bad news of practice, we want to, be, to cultivate the capacity to turn towards things when they feel uncomfortable, when they feel insecure, when they feel outside of our control. And to uh, uh, touch that, to feel it, to, uh, to keep touching it. I mean, the practice, in many ways, one could de- describe it as that's what it's about. You know, wake up to the reality of um, how mental and physical phenomenon operate. And in a twisted way, we'll be much happier. But interestingly, in the deluded state, we're actually struggling and battling with conditions that we, we, we cannot change. There's nothing to be done about this. This is the way it is. And uh, I think the promise of the Buddhist teachings and practices is just to dare to turn towards it and uh, allow that uh, reality to be what it is. And see see how um, so much of the stress, the tension in the system just completely falls away. So it's interesting to watch and to uncover for ourselves how the mind keeps skipping over these realities. You know, I, I, I spent a number of years at IMS on the staff there, and one of the experiences that I had that I keep going back to, I'm still learning from it, um, came when uh, one of the staff members and I just sat across the, the dining table from each other in the staff dining room, each with a tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, <laughs> and, and, and decided to um, eat ice cream meditatively, you know, to see, to see what we could learn from this experience. And it, 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 con- it was and continues to be one of the most um, educational uh, practices that I've ever done, so I'd highly encourage it <laughs> with any food, but certainly Ben and Jerry's really helped. But it was fascinating to see how many, many things, we learned many, many things from this, but in particular, the, how w- we would put the food in our mouth and it would be so delicious and we would be so happy and uh, I- within a few seconds, it's like you couldn't taste it anymore and the pleasure wasn't there in the, to the same degree. And unseen and undirected, the hand was going out for the next bite. You know, it was just happening very automatically. And what we took from that is, a, you know, I remember t- talking to him, this fellow Ken, I said, you know, do, we, do you see that? Do you see what it's doing? It, it will not stay with the endings of things. It, it doesn't want to see that it's over, that the pleasure is gone. <laughs> and, it, and that's why you have to keep eating the ice cream, you know, <laughs> why you have to keep going back for more, because it's trying to make something that is by its nature impermanent. It's trying to make it last. It's trying to make it uh, go on and on and on when it doesn't. It's very, very powerful. So this, uh, this impulse to, to find security, it, it, it may not be useful uh, in those kinds of situations, that's for sure, but there's another arena where it isn't useful. And, and that's in, um, and this is tricky, but look and see if you, if you don't see this. It's something I've seen in my own practice. There's, there's a way that that impulse to find security, familiarity, things that we recognize, things that we know and are comfortable, that it's a player in why we keep turning to um, patterns and habits of mind that don't serve us. You know, it's because they're comfortable. It's because they're familiar. It's like the mind knows greed. It knows hatred. (laughs) It knows delusion. And so in in very subtle ways, it goes there because it it doesn't have any, any other options. It doesn't see any other options. It's like, to, to unpack that, or to, for sure, the mind doesn't want to be in these states. They're painful. They're very unpleasant to be in. But it doesn't know anything else. <laughs> 
It only knows what it's familiar with and what it's comfortable with. And so we actually keep turning to, to hatred and greed uh, because uh, it's a known commodity. <laughs> They're comfortable. And we're familiar with it. We recognize it. But in, you know, in, in terms of waking up, um, this kind of activity is actually highly counterproductive. You know, if we don't see the tendency of the mind to attach to perception as it plays out, as it's sort of recognizing going to things that are familiar and comfortable, um, then uh, we, we can't get this leg up on breaking these kinds of patterns. As I said, the mind doesn't really want to go to these states, but it keeps falling back to them because they're known and we recognize them. And I, I think of the hindrances really as a manifestation of self-view. That is, that they, they proceed, they're all proceeding from the need to protect the self. In a way, they define the self. This is what the self is all about. Uh, wanting, not wanting, uh, getting lost, uh, being confused being restless and agitated and anxious. So they, they have this self-preservation quality to them, just like uh, other aspects of the mind. Uh, they're definitely there to protect and defend this sense of self. But it's interesting because it's, a, it's, an, it's kind of like a new spin on that. Um, it's not a, about protecting us from harm or danger. It's actually about protecting a construct of the mind that doesn't even have any reality other than uh, our uh, imagining of it. And so uh, now our, our attachment to what is very familiar and known is, is actually about preserving the sense of self. And look and see. It's very, very interesting to see. We, we keep turning to very tired and worn out strategies uh, to protect something that doesn't even exist. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of stupid, isn't it? <laughs> it's like we create something. It, it's classic. It's all really, a lot of it's proceeding from the sense of perception. Um, we create something in the mind create uh, an an idea of who we are, a perception, and and then um, not only move into it, uh, but spend much of our lives trying to protect, defend, and secure it. It's quite, I mean, the depth of delusion here boggles the mind when you think about it. So we, we keep turning to all these tired and worn out strategies that, that don't work, never have worked, never will work. And, and, and they're actually proceeding from an imagined danger uh, or need and, and serve to perpetuate the illusion of self. But there isn't any self to protect or defend. So it's amazing. So the unawakened mind uh, recognizes the hindrances uh, as... Um, the thing to do in any given situation. It knows this territory. It knows this territory very well. And it's relying on unconscious and incorrect perceptions in relation to those. So as practitioners, what we want to be able to do is to break out of these habitual modes of of being and seeing and see things in a much more raw way. Uh, That's not necessarily easy to do. But... um, we, we sort of inch our way along. You just sort of ex- experiment, turn a little bit towards things that are difficult or uncomfortable and, and realize that, you know, you not only can survive, we have been surviving. We've actually been touching these and living in the, uh, 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 these three characteristics from the day that we're born. And we're still here. I mean, we're, we've, we've made it through. But it, we haven't been doing it in a very wakeful way. It's actually been in a way that's fighting, resisting, uh, and creating a battlefield around reality. So in, in a way, just to summarize, you know, recognizing is really all about establishing ourselves and what is familiar and staying there. 
and the mind is scrambling to do everything that it can to keep things um, in that realm, <laughs> to keep things somehow secure and comfortable and certain. But we need to be smart about practice. <clears throat> and, and we need just to see, see how, when we're doing that, um, see how we're doing it, see when we're doing it, feel the consequences of doing that. And in a way, just kind of uh, dare to turn towards the monster. <laughs> you know, the, these, these realities of our existence loom large and we're not taking them in. And uh, the perception conda, this aspect of the perception conda is a key player in our inability to see all of that. So the, the encouragement here then is to be smart, <laughs> practice well with all of this, uh, uncover these tendencies of mind. So that's a beginning. I mean, it's a, there's a lot to it. Uh, that's a beginning um, in, in terms of uh, seeing what the mind is doing. And then uh, what I want to talk about uh, next, and certainly in some of the reflections, will be just seeing how the mind um, draws associations with things. See the naming of objects and how that naming takes on a reality. What's going on with all of that? And how we move into the ideas that we have about objects instead of the objects themselves. And so hopefully this will be some support to, to you in some small way with your practice here. Shall we sit for just a moment? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.